Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Those are the first eight verses of Psalm 37, the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, September the 2nd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, your host. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it more than you can imagine. I love doing this. I love the Word of God. I love to talk about the Word of God. Um, and so here we are today. We're continuing to look at Solomon uh, in 1 Kings 11, 1 to 13 today. We're going to look at Solomon's failures today. Uh, also, we're in the epistle of James chapter 3, verse 13, through chapter 4, verse 12, and continuing in the gospel according to Mark in chapter 15, verses 12 to 21. So, as I said, we're talking about Solomon's failure today, where, where he went astray from, from what his father did, and it was because he, he, he began to collect things. He collected gold, he collected spices, he collected wood, he collected buildings, he collected all kinds of stuff, and it's not wrong to collect stuff, but, but when your heart is captivated by the things you've collected, whether it be a house, cars, whatever, whatever it is that you collect, whatever that, that it, it goes back to this thing from the psalm of delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So, so if your heart is fixed on him and your delight is in him, then the things that he's going to give you, the desires of your heart, are going to be things that relate to him and his kingdom. That, that's the catch-22 <laughs> in getting the desires of your heart. It's only possible if you delight yourself in the Lord. And that means to, to lay aside the delight of all else. And that's exactly what Jesus said. That's what he said to the rich young ruler. Lay aside the stuff that you have now the stuff that you delight in, the stuff that's important to you, lay that aside, sell it, give it all to the poor, and then come and follow me. And that's, that's what it means to delight yourself into the Lord, is to see him as the epitome, the, the summum bonum, the greatest good that you could possibly have, and, and being willing to sacrifice everything else to have more of that. And so instead, here's what we get. Now Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, his wife, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. That's how fickle God's people are, that they allow their wives, husbands, whichever, to turn them away from the Lord. In spite of all they've seen and all that they've experienced, they've tasted and seen that he is good. And, and, and yet, because of these others, were tempted to turn away and said, Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Holy moly, he was a lover of women. His wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. 
as was the heart of David his father, he went away after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and didn't wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And we're just getting started. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, the one before whom the... Um, no, that was Dagon. Uh, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, the one who required infant sacrifice. And he did that on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. And, and the Lord was angry with him because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. You've seen me. You've heard me. You've experienced direct communication with me on two different occasions. And he had commanded him concerning this very thing that he should not go after other gods. It sounds like the garden. He told him the one thing that he couldn't do, and he did it. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded him. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you've not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I'll surely tear the kingdom away from you, and I'll give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I won't do it in your days, but I will tear it from the hand of your son. So the son's going to bear the price of this because God's great love for David so David spared Solomon the personal grief of having the, the kingdom torn away from him. But, it, but, it, but God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that to your son. And then he says, however, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I've chosen. I mean, this is awful. This proclamation that God makes here is just a terrible, terrible thing to say that, that in the next generation, this is all going away. It's all falling apart. Everything you've done, everything you've worked for, you were supposed to make these people a united people, but because of your wives and you love them more than you love me, you're going to lose it all. That's it. Look around, big boy. Enjoy what you see, because it ain't going to last. I mean, it's a horrible thing to even imagine that just as Israel reaches its apex within just a few years after this glorious dedication of the temple that we read about. It collapses because of Solomon's sin. But in the meantime, you have to say, well, where were the priests? Where were his counselors and advisors? Did nobody have the courage to walk in and say, hey, this is wrong, and to confront that sin? As the leader goes, so goes the people. It's the reason that, that great churches can fall into heresy and apostasy. And you can look and think, well, how did that happen? Well, it's because you followed that leader rather than calling out and confronting that leader. You continued to show up and you continued to give money. And what have you contributed to and what's going to happen to it? The gospel lesson, you remember yesterday, the the people had, had demanded that Pilate do what he had done in the past, which was give up one of the prisoners to him during the Passover. And he assumed that they would want Jesus because he said, you know, he's only here basically because these people, these leaders are jealous because of y'all. Your affections are after him rather than them. He has your attention and he's calling them names and telling you they're, telling you that they're horrible. 
So he assumed that the people would say, yeah, we want Jesus. But no, they wanted the insurrectionist and the murderer of Barabbas. And he said again to them, what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? The one that they had called king of the Jews last week when they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This goes back to that thing yesterday, right, about taming the tongue and what it's capable of. And Jesus says, you know, this is the overflow of the heart. That's what's being exposed by this stuff coming out. And so they, the, he asked, what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. Holy moly, they wanted to put him on a throne last week. This week they want to put him on a cross. Cruel, inhumane punishment. And they're all for it. What had he done? Why does he need to be crucified? And that's exactly what Paul Pilate says. Why? What evil has he done? And they just kept shouting, crucify him. That is the insanity of a mob. That's all that's happened. How much buyer's remorse do you think they had the day after this? Unbelievable that this same crowd who, who proclaimed Jesus as king, not even a week before, now wants him on a cross and can't even state why. They thought he was king. He didn't say that without them having said it first. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, of course, you give in to the mob. So he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him over to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, which is Pilate's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. You want to be a king? You should dress like one. You should dress in purple like kings do, and you should have a crown like kings have. So they're mocking him, mocking God, mocking the Son of God, the salvation of all mankind. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! <laughs> they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. They were mocking him in all these things. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes. Then they led him out to crucify him. It's impossible to imagine. Absolutely incredible to think that the God of the universe allowed himself to be treated that way by men in love. He has to persevere for their salvation to be even possible requires him to persevere, to submit himself to all the indignity, all the mocking, all the physical pain, the abandonment of his followers, and he is alone. And they think they have the upper hand, they think they have all the control, but the person who's in control in this situation, this is the thing that, that's always amazed me, the one person who's in control, completely in control of himself, is Jesus. He has the composure and the humility to persevere and do the will of the Father. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country for the feast, for the Passover feast, the father of Alexander and Rufus, who you hear about later, to carry the cross. What an honor. 
What an honor that they chose this man. What must his life have been like? How many times must he have reflected on this and just wept for the honor of carrying the cross of Jesus and asking, why me, Lord? Why was I the guy who got the honor of carrying the cross on which the King of Glory died? I'm the one who carried the cross on which Jesus took all the sins of humanity upon himself in love. Unbelievable. It's an honor to serve God no matter what that service is. And that day it didn't feel like an honor. It felt like the worst thing in the world. And yet Simon was honored with that service for the Lord. And that lesson from James, he gets into this whole thing, and this is how we get there. Who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. I don't think you can get any clearer than that. Don't boast and be false in the truth with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Seen that tear a denomination apart. Seen that tear a a church apart. It happens all the time. It's sad that it happens in the house of God, among the people of God. He says, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there'll be disorder. And that's where it begins, is in disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, he's going to give the characteristics here. First, it's pure, he says. It's pure. It's about God. It's clean. There's no mixed chalice there. You don't have to wonder at it. It just is pure. You know that it's wisdom. And then he says it's peaceable. It brings peace. That kind of wisdom, that kind of clarity brings peace. Because people can then go, wait, I see it now. Then he says it's gentle. In other words, it's not there to be a rod of punishment, and it's not there to be used as a club wielded against those who disagree with us. It's not that. He says it's, it's gentle. He said it's open to reason. In other words, I'm so confident that this is wisdom from above that, that you're, willing, you're welcome to say anything you like. And I'm willing to discuss it. And if you're able to show me that it's wrong, I'm willing to hear. And I'm willing to adjust. He said it's full of mercy and good fruits. That, that's not typically the way. It's usually used as a club against those people who disagree. He said, no, 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 it's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He's talking again about the... Sermon on the Mount, he's bringing these things to bear. And, and so he, there's, a, there's an extended reflection here in the midst of all this, I believe, on the things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is an extended uh, argument on, on what peace is and what peace brings, and blessed are the peacemakers. 
And then he goes on to say, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Isn't it this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder, you covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It's the reason in some ways that the, the, of the second set of commandments, beyond those that relate to God, those that relate to your fellow neighbors, um, that coveting is the most important because it's the source of much of everything else, and that's exactly what his argument is here. Now, if I could fix the coveting issue in my life, he's right. I, I wouldn't speak the things that I speak. I wouldn't do the things that I do, and that's what he's talking about, selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. It's just like, I covet what you have, and it's exactly why Pilate thought that the people would would demand that he release Jesus because he said, look, it's, I get why these people brought him here because they're jealous of him. I don't understand. I, I, surely the people can see through that nonsense and, and demand that Jesus be let go. But but they had convinced him that, that he was evil. It, it happens. That's how the rebellions in the wilderness against Moses happened, was just that people fanned into flame the grievances they had whether those grievances were real or imagined, grievances about position. That's exactly what happened with uh, Aaron and Miriam. It's exactly what happened with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They believed that they should have better roles. They were not satisfied with what they had, and that's exactly what he's saying here. You don't have because you don't ask. But, he didn't say but, but it's there, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's still about your desires. You adulterous people. He's accusing him of doing the same thing that, that Solomon did. In other words, his heart was turned towards something else. He loved his wives more than he loved God. They loved their stuff more than they loved God. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God because the world is at enmity with God. Or do you, and if you don't believe that, look around today. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he's given to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart. You double-minded, be wretched and mourn. Remember mourning? Blessed are they who mourn. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, see things for the way they are. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And these are all the same principles Jesus taught. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. This is the same thing Jesus said. If you speak evil against your brother, you're murdering him. So he says, if you speak evil against a brother or you judge your brother, then you're speaking evil against the law and judging the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And he says, there's only one of those, only one lawgiver and judge, and he's able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It all comes back to one word today, and that is humility. What's a proper humility? A proper humility is knowing what you know and resting in your knowledge that he has given you and resting in the one who's given you all things. Not being afraid to have that challenged and being content in all things because you know that all that you have and all that you are is simply because he loves you and he takes mercy on you because you're created in his image.
And because he loves his son, he loves those who love his son.